Good morning, NBC Arlington. I'm Joe Carter, one of the pastors for our location. It's an honor to be with you this morning as we counter God through his word. I'm thankful to be here, even though I'm not feeling well this morning. Uh, fortunately, I feel better than I look. Uh, but, but that's only because it looked like I died last Tuesday. <laughs> so I hope you'll bear with me if I bit off this morning. We recently finished a sermon series on James. And next week, we're going to start a new sermon series on prayer. Today, though, we're going to take a detour and focus on just one single command of God. So if you have a Bible, please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 18. So last Monday, because it was Christmas, somebody you know likely gave you a present. Someone you care, who cares about you, whether a friend or family member, handed you a neatly wrapped package and waited expectantly for your reaction as you opened it. And so you tore through the wrapping paper, you opened the box, you took out the gift, and you said, what is this garbage? <laughs> or you said, that didn't cost near as much as the present I got you. Or you said, you know I'm just going to re-gift this, right? Or maybe you didn't say any of that because you're not a monster. What you actually said was thank you. You told them how much you appreciated the gift. You did that, you gave them some kind of expression of gratitude. And you recognize that gratitude is not just about good manners. When you refuse to express gratitude, people think there is something morally wrong with you. As American essayist William George Jordan once said, ingratitude is a crime more despicable than revenge, which is only returning evil for evil, while ingratitude is returning evil for good. And to be clear about what we're talking about, when we talk about gratitude, I mean the label we give to a favorable response to a favor or gift. So gratitude is a favorable response we give to a, a gift or a favor. And gratitude is not just an action, though. Genuine gratitude usually starts as an emotion. Now, there are certain emotions like anger, disgust, fear, that are common through all humans. But gratitude is not one of them. Of course, this won't come as a surprise to um, anyone who has kids, but gratitude is something we have to be learned. Kids aren't born knowing how to be grateful. There's no baby whose first words are ever, thank you. Gratitude has to be taught. And for some kids, it has to be taught over and over and over again. And when my daughter was young, she went through a phase where she would never say thank you. She would never express gratitude. And the angriest I've ever gotten her was when she was six years old. She's 30 years old now, but when she was six years old, she flat out refused to express, say thank you to a couple who had done, uh, been exceptionally kind to her. And I was furious and I was embarrassed and I asked God to change her heart. And now I realize what a hypocrite I was being. Here I was complaining to God about my child being ungrateful when I was even a more ungrateful child. God had given me so much. He had piled gift upon gift upon gift of my life. And yet I had a heart of ingratitude. And sure, sometimes I would include my prayer line that said, thank you for the many blessings you've given me this day. But my heart wasn't really in it and it didn't show in my actions. And it did show in my actions because I wasn't paying attention to all that God had done for me and all that he was doing for me. As theologian M. Craig Bard says, only the grateful are paying attention. And they are grateful because they're paying attention. And they're paying attention because they're so grateful. And Barnes also says that he doubts there's any measure of spirituality. But if there was, it was probably gratitude. I think he's right about that. If you want to check your spiritual health, examine your level of thankfulness. If you're ungrateful, 
you're likely to be a spiritual mess. If you are grateful, that means you're paying attention. And that means you're more likely to be motivated to follow Jesus and become more like Jesus every day. Indeed, that's one of the secrets, not only to improving your spiritual life, but to improving your life overall in every aspect. Gratitude is a secret trick. On the internet, you often hear headlines that promise this one weird trick will transform your life. But that's what Paul's talking about today. There is one weird trick that really will change your life. But before we talk about the trick, let me pray for our time together. Lord Jesus, open our hearts as we search your holy word this morning. Help us to better understand the meaning of the text by Paul and help us gain a deeper appreciation and understanding of the concept of gratitude. Give us a greater understanding of the depth and importance of continual thankfulness in our lives. We ask all this in your holy name. Amen. So the verse we're going to look at today comes from 1 Thessalonians. And this is an epistle by the Apostle Paul. Now, epistles are letters written by early Christian leaders to the community of believers. And they often contain instructions, doctoral discussions, and pastoral advice. And these specific verses we're going to look at today are part of a pastoral advice Paul is giving to a congregation on concise, practical advice for Christian living. And we're going to read verses 16 through 18. This is the word of the Lord. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of Christ Jesus, for, of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, we could do a three-part series on this single sentence. We could do a, a sermon on rejoicing. We could do a sermon on continually praying. And we could do one on giving thanks. But I only have one sermon today, so I'm going to focus on verse 18. And what Paul says about giving thanks in all circumstances. And Paul says it is God's will for you, you as a follower of Jesus, to always be rejoicing, to always be praying, and to always be giving thanks. That is the type of person God wants you to be. A person who is always rejoicing. A person who is always prayerful. A person who is always full of gratitude. And we're going to focus on verse 18, which centers on this theme of gratitude. So let's take a closer look at how to ensure we fully understand what Paul is communicating to us. Now in this short verse, he tells the what, the why, and the who. What we must do, why we must do it, and who he's talking about. Who is this command for? At first, he gives us the what. What must we do? Paul says that in everything, give thanks. And that part is a command of God. This is instruction for Christians to be thankful in all circumstances. Being thankful is not an option. It's something that we're commanded by God to do. But why does God command us to be thankful? I think he does it because it helps us to love and worship God with all our minds. In the Gospels, Jesus tells us to love your God with all your mind. And being thankful helps us do that because it, first of all, forces us to pay attention. And then once we're paying attention, it forces us to use our reason and our imagination to think about all that God has done for us and all that God will do for us in the future. Gratitude, therefore, is a type of thinking. Indeed, as the British writer G.K. Chesterton once said, thanks are the highest form of thought and gratitude is happiness 
doubled by wonder. When we are truly giving thanks to God, we are worshiping God with our minds. So that's the what. Then Paul gives us the why. Why must we do this? He says, for this is the will of God. And this phrase explains the reason behind the command. The command to give thanks in everything is rooted in God's will for our lives. Throughout scripture, we find that God tends to express his revealed will in one of two ways, either in commands or in promises. And we tend to think these aren't really connected, that they're two separate categories of things. But in reality, they're closely connected. Every command is tied to a promise, and every promise is tied to a command. Let me give you an example of what I mean. In Jeremiah 7, 23, God says, but this command I gave them, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the ways that I command you, that it may be well with you. The command is to obey him and the promise connected to that command is that if they obey him, it will be well with them. If they simply be obedient, then they will flourish and they will be happy. And just about every command God gives us has that as an implied promise. Almost every command given to believers in the form of do this and you will flourish. Do this because this is the only way you're going to be truly and permanently happy. That's God's will for our lives. God loves us and he always wants what's best for us. And because he knows all the details of our lives, he knows all the future. He knows with absolute certainty what the future holds. We can trust him. When he tells us to do something, that is always, always the right thing to do. And finally, Paul gives us the who. Who is this message for? Paul says it's for those in Christ Jesus concerning you. And the message is for those who are in Christ. In other words, this is a message just for the whole world that's applicable to anybody. This is a Christ, for those who are Christians. And Paul's making it clear that he's talking about those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, this expression, in Christ, occurs 216 times in the letters of Paul. It refers to what's called the doctrine of union with Christ. A union with Christ means you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. And the theologian Rankin Wilborn explains this by saying, Christ in you, by his spirit, dwells and gives you new life and power to change. And all this happens without obliterating you as you. You are precious and unique. God dreamed up the one and only you and knit you together himself, but he created you to be united to him. You are more and most yourself when you're united with Christ. He covers you. He shields you. He represents you before the Father. He also fills you, illuminates you, and animates you, making you more yourself and more human than you could be on your own. And because we are united with, to, to him, Jesus gives us the power and the ability to be fully human and to have the power to do whatever he calls us to do. And because we are united with Christ, we have the ability to do what may seem possible. We may have the ability to give thanks in every circumstance. Jesus is not only our motivation for giving thanks, he's also the power and the source of our being able to be truly grateful in all circumstances. And what Paul wants us to take away from this verse is that followers of Jesus, expressing gratitude in every situation is an internal sign that we are living in alignment with God's will. He's seen that a key aspect of Christian identity 
and an essential element of faithfully living the Christian life is to have a heart that is always thankful. So let's look at what that, how we can implement this command to always give thanks. As you might expect, there's a reason why it hasn't been more widely adopted. It's not because it's hard. In fact, this is probably one of the most easy commands God ever gives us. But taking this approach can radically change our lives, and most people just don't want to change. By always giving thanks, we transform our orientation to almost everything in our lives. Now, most people would be fine if this command simply meant giving thanks more often. But it's not just about what we say with our mouths that matter. It's what we feel in our heart and what we do in our actions. It's about the orientation of our heart toward the world. And to fully obey this command, we have to develop hearts that are truly be grateful no matter what is going on around us. If we're able to do that, if we're able to be that kind of person who wants to be thankful in all circumstances, then it quite literally changes your orientation of your life. And that desire and the ability to give thanks changes the orientation to your circumstance. It changes the orientation to the things of the world. It changes your orientation to other people. And it changes your orientation to God. So that's what we're gonna consider this morning. We're gonna look at how gratitude transforms all of these contexts and relationships. So let's start with our circumstance. Gratitude transforms our orientation to our circumstances. Now, Paul says we're to give thanks in all circumstances. But pay careful attention to what he's saying. We're to give thanks in our circumstance, not give thanks for our circumstance. He's not saying we must always be thankful for the troubles we endure. We don't have to, we don't always have to be thankful for the circumstance to be grateful in our circumstance. There's a clear distinction between being thankful in every situation thankful for every situation and thankful in those situations. We're not called to give thanks for having COVID or for losing our job or for being in a broken relationship. Yet we're able and willing, we should be willing to give thanks in those circumstances, even if there's pain and suffering. And Paul's saying that because we have Jesus, we have reasons to be thankful, even in the worst of struggles and trials. And we tend not to notice the reasons to be thankful because we have the wrong perspective. The historian Arnold Toynbee once said that a person trying to understand the present circumstance is like a man who's pressed his nose against a mirror trying to look at his whole body. And oftentimes we are simply too close to our circumstance to see things clearly. We need to step back and see the bigger picture. And when we do, look at the bigger picture. If you're a Christian, you will see how the gospel has changed everything. If you're a Christian, your circumstances already changed you in a way that should make you perpetually grateful. You've gone from death to life. You've shifted from eternal punishment to eternal pleasure. You've shifted from a child of wrath to a child of God. And because of the gospel, you must always look at every circumstance from two perspectives, from the present and from the future. Now, the present circumstance may be difficult to deal with. You may need to pray without ceasing that God will give you relief. Yet while you shouldn't dismiss what you might be going through, you should always keep an eye on the future. Our faith in Jesus allows us to put our current circumstance in a broader, more hopeful context. 
As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. The key to continuously doing this is to remind ourselves what God has done for us. And I don't mean just give it a passing thought now and again. We need to reflect and meditate regularly on what God has done for us. If you spend some time looking over carefully what God has done for you in the past, you will notice that God did change your circumstance in certain areas. There's also times when God did not change your circumstance because he wanted to use that circumstance to make you more like Jesus. And when we do this, when we reflect and meditate on our circumstance and what God has done for us more, it helps us to grow in our gratitude. We start to see piecing things together and see it from God's perspective. And we become more trusting of God. We learn that we can be thankful, not only for the good and easy times, but also in the hard times. We learn that even in grief and pain, we can be grateful since we still have the greatest gift we could ever want. We have God himself. He's never gonna leave us. He's never gonna forsake us. He is never gonna let us down. And for that, we have a reason to always be thankful. And next, gratitude transforms our orientation to the things of creation. Now, among God's characteristics that he's revealed about himself in scripture, the most significant is his holiness. Now, the words holy and holiness occurs 900 times across the Old and New Testament. Both Testaments speak about God's holiness more than any other attribute. The holiness is associated with separation from the ordinary and connection with God. Holiness is not only be separated from sin and worldliness, but being set apart for God's purposes. To be holy is to be set apart for God's purposes. Now, when God's word regards something as holy, it means primarily that the something in question has been set apart for God's special use. For, for example, Christians are holy because we have been set apart for God's special use. But we also have the ability to make things holy. We have this ability because as Christians, we are a type of priest. As 1 Peter 1.9 tells us, you, we are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. As priests, we have the ability to make things holy. So how do we do that? How do we make things holy? Well, throughout the Old Testament, the way a priest would make things holy would be to consecrate an object, to dedicate it to God by speaking words over it. And as New Testament priests, we do something the same. We make things holy by giving thanks to God for them. As theologian Peter Leithart says, for Paul, thanksgiving has a performative effect on the things received. Receiving God's gift with thanks does not merely identify them as gifts, but also sanctifies them, consecrates them as holy things. The world is sanctified, made holy through thanks. When we give thanks for the things of creation, we are doing two things. At first, we are recognizing that these are gifts from God. And second, we are setting the things apart for special use. Let me say that again. <coughs> we are setting things apart for special use. By giving thanks, we are obligating ourselves to use them for God's purpose. When we give thanks for something that God has given us, we are obligating ourselves to use it in a way that glorifies God. Holy people should use holy things. 
We see to eat holy food and eat holy drink, even if it's just coffee and donut. By giving thanks to our food, we transform it. We make it holy by giving thanks for it. We are using these gifts in a way and obligating ourselves to use them in a way for God's purposes. Now, throughout Christian history, Christians have made a habit of saying grace, of saying a short prayer recited before a meal to give thanks for the food. And while we should continue that practice and maybe some of us should take it up anew, we should expand the range of when we say grace. To quote Cheston again, you say grace before meals, all right, but I say grace before the concert in the opera and grace before the play and grace before I open a book and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing and grace before I dipped the pen in the ink. I just is saying the same thing Paul's saying. He's saying that we need to give, give thanks for every gift given to us by God. And by doing that, we are making things holy. We are setting them apart from their ordinary uses and obligating ourselves to use them in a way that honors God. I think about how your life would be different if you said thanks, if you gave, said grace for all the stuff in your life. Think about it before you went to sleep. You said thanks to God for your pillow and for the warm blanket you have. And then you wake up in the morning and you said thanks for the indoor plumbing and the hot shower. And you said thanks for the refrigerator and said thanks for your car. By saying thanks, you'd be reminding yourselves that God has given you blessings that most people throughout human history have not had. Why are you special? Because God chose you to have these things and we should be grateful for them. And by saying thanks, you're obligating yourself to use those in ways that honor him. Third, gratitude transforms our relation to other people. Now, Paul had a strange way of showing gratitude to his fellow believers. If you read the opening of Paul's letters, you'll notice a common theme. It's a theme found in Romans, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon. In each of these letters, Paul says to the people he's writing to that he's thankful to God for them. Now keep in mind, these are often people who have done things for Paul. They have given him food and shelter and money and comfort. In the Roman world, when you gave somebody something, it was with expecting that they was gonna return it to you. They was gonna give a gift back to you in return. But Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't even thank them directly. He thanks God for them. Now, if we were, he were speaking to non-believers, this might be insulting. But Paul recognizes that these Christians are doing things by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he's given thanks where it's due. He's given thanks to God for them. And when you think about it, isn't that what we should want? Have you ever had someone at work tell you how awesome you are? That's great. Isn't it much better, though, when somebody says, tells your boss how awesome you are in front of you? Well, that's what Paul's doing. Paul's telling the big boss, the king of the universe, how awesome these people are and how thankful he is for them. And he's doing it in front of them. We need to do the same thing. We need to be thanking God for the people he's put in our lives. Indeed, we need, we, 
if we are to be thanks in our circumstance, and people usually comprise our circumstance, we should be giving thanks for people. We need to be thanking God for such people on a daily basis. And we also need to let them know. We need to directly tell people in our lives that we are thanking God for them. Children need to tell their parents. Husbands need to tell their wives. Pastors need to tell their church members. We owe the thanks to God, but what we owe to the people, as Paul tells us in Romans, is a debt of love. Now, the philosopher Joseph Pieper says that there's a common element to all the ways that humans use the word love. And every time it means it's a way of turning to the person or to the thing and saying, it's good that you exist. It's good that you are in the world. Who are the folks that you are thankful exist? Who are the people in your life that you are thankful are in the world? Let them know. Be specific. Think about what it is you want to thank God for them and then let them know that you're doing that. Maybe you thank God for their talents or their abilities that he's given them. Maybe you thank God for the, the kind heart he has given them. Whatever it is, let them know. In fact, sometime this week, make a list of some of the people you want to lo- let them know that you're thanking God for in this new year. If you tell one person a week, that'd be 52 people. If you told two people a week, that would be 104 people that felt appreciated this year. As Pastor Eric often says, most people aren't walking around feeling overappreciated. You can change that by letting people know that you are thanking God for them. And finally, gratitude transforms our orientation to God. The most important thing that gratitude does, it changes our orientation and our relationship to our God. Gratitude is one of the most effective ways to enjoy God. As John Piper often says, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. God is glorified when you enjoy him. God gets glory when you enjoy him. And how do you enjoy God? Well, God is a person. So you should expect to enjoy him in much the same way as you would a person, as you would a human person. And when we enjoy someone, we're thankful that they are in our lives. We're thankful when we hear from them. We're thankful when we get to talk to them. We're thankful for all they are and for all they do. And this same gratitude is necessary in our enjoyment of God. As Psalms 50, 23 says, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Now, this psalm tells us that salvation will be shown to those who are rightly oriented toward God. And one of the ways we become rightly oriented toward God is through offerings of thanksgiving. In other words, the regular practice of gratitude is a means by which we become rightly oriented toward God. Let me say that again because it's so important. The regular practice of gratitude is one of the key ways that we become rightly oriented toward God. It's only when we are truly grateful for what God has done that we begin to fully appreciate who God is and understand who we are as his children. And develop this level of gratitude, the ability to give thanks in all circumstances, we must constantly ask two questions. To whom do we owe thanks? And for what should I be grateful for? And the answer to the first question is that you should be grateful 
Our second question is, that you should be grateful for all the gifts that God has given you. You should be thankful for the circumstance in your life, thankful for the things in your life, thankful for the people in your life, and most importantly, thankful for Jesus Christ who reconciled you, reconciled you with God the Father. Since all those gifts come from God, the one you owe thanks to is to God. And the more we express our gratitude to God, the more our eyes are opened to the glory of God and the generosity he's been bestowing us and the goodness and blessings he's given us. And when we see how much God has done for us, he helps to reduce our self-centeredness. The more we're saying, put our gratitude and giving our thanks to God, the more it takes our focus on ourselves. In summary, we need to cultivate this virtue of gratitude because it helps us to probably orient our relationship to our holy God. Have you ever been around someone who's just truly grateful and thankful for all they have in their lives? Being around a person is kind of like when you're, like when you're walking outside on a really cold day where it's really just the chills just into your bones, and then you walk into a room where a blazing fireplace is going. And just as the fire transforms the cold room into a haven of warmth and comfort, a person who is truly thankful in all of life has a way of just dispelling negativity and spreading warmth to those around them. The thankful nature acts like a beacon of hope and a comfort in otherwise bleak, ordinary circumstances. Now imagine what it'd be like if everyone in this room became that type of person. Imagine if all of us decided to truly commit to giving thanks in all circumstances throughout this coming new year. Think about what would happen if you frequently told people how you were thanking God for them. Think about the new friendships that would be developed, that would be rekindled. Think about the, the marriages that would be restored and healed. And think about how much glory that would bring to God. And think about what would happen if people saw us not only giving thanks to God for our meals, but saw us giving thanks to God for everything in our lives. Think about what it would look like for a watching world to see a people that radiated gratitude for the things that most people just take for granted. Think about how that would bring glory to God. Also, think about what would happen if every day, every single day, we spend some time reminding ourselves of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and thanking him for how he rescued us from sin. Think about what would change if we constantly thank God for the price that was paid on our behalf and how Jesus had to suffer and die so that we might be forgiven. Think about how that would motivate us to flee from sin and how much that would glorify God. I don't want us to just imagine it though. I want us to commit to doing it. Tomorrow is New Year's Day, a time for new resolutions. I want you to join me in resolving to, to give thanks to, in all circumstances throughout 2024. Now I'm pleading with you not to just forget this by the time you get out of the church parking lot. I'm asking you to commit to this experiment. If you can't do it for the whole year, try for one month. And let's do it because God commands it. Let's do it because it's God's will 
And let's do it because it glorifies God when we give thanks in all circumstances. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that every moment of our lives is a testament to your grace. In the highs and the lows, in our triumphs and our trials, you are steadfast, a constant source of strength and comfort. We acknowledge, Lord, that our ability to express gratitude does not come from within ourselves, but is a gift from you, a gift that transforms our hearts and aligns our spirits with your divine will. Help us to internalize these lessons for your holy word, not just as, a, as knowledge, but as a living, breathing part of our daily existence. May we be individuals who rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. Let gratitude be our constant attitude, shaping our perceptions and guiding our actions. In the coming days, weeks, and throughout this new year, instill in us a spirit of thankfulness that transforms our understanding. Let it be a light that shines through us, illuminating the path for others to find their way to you. And may our lives be a continuous hymn of praise and thanksgiving, honoring you in all we do. We ask all this in the mighty and precious name of Jesus.